I'm blandering my paw, and I usually wind up having to adjust the microphone. I don't have to do that tonight. Good evening. It is good to see everyone. Grateful to be here. Uh, we keep you in our prayers, and I, I'm grateful for your prayers for me. Uh, everybody keeps asking me, well, how are you doing, Bill? And I said, uh, I know that I don't know. <laughs> uh, Friday I'll find out more from my doctor. He had some surgery on the bladder, and uh, still may have some things up in the air, so we keep praying for that, keep praying for Chuck, and push for Les, Russ and Lisa, and for all the guys here. Grateful for your presence. Entrance into the church, what's well, right out there? No, it's physical. We're talking about spiritual things today. I want to focus this lesson on a variety of different levels. There's always a chance when I'm going somewhere that somebody has not obeyed the gospel yet. We're going to talk about that, and I hope you listen for that. There's also uh, brethren that are asking the question, well, how can I more effectively share what God's Word says? We're going to be dealing with the principles of entrance. And we're also going to be dealing with the fact that comparisons are made in the Bible specific comparisons, specific analogies, and of course we're going to raise, here's the tongue twister, I'm going to talk about spiritual specificity, no, mm -mm. specificity, yes, just call it specific spirituality, okay, (laughs) that's a tongue twister. What do you mean by specific spirituality? We'll talk to that in just a moment. But just imagine, if you would, sometimes we don't use our imaginations that much, but there's a crowd of Jews from all over the Roman Empire. They're going to get more than they actually expected in the temple in Jerusalem that day. They're there to celebrate the Feast of the Pentecost. 51 days before they really had a surprise, they were witnesses to the death of Jesus. Peter relates everything that happened that day with the outpouring of God's Spirit, the, the miraculous tongue, tongues of fire, and then the, the apostles speaking in all those different languages, dialects. And then he said to them, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? He said that to Peter and the rest of the apostles. And what Peter tell them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission or forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The question that was raised that day still needs to be raised today. What shall we do? And some religious groups will answer that say nothing. You don't have to worry about anything. You just believe in God, and that's enough. I beg to differ then. 
with them tonight. We need to ask that question, why is it important for me? And what does it mean to me? Why is the church important? Well, go to the end of that chapter, in Acts the second chapter in verse 47. You know, it's interesting. There's these guys that mess with textual criticism. Well, the Western text says this, the Eastern text says that. The issue is, at the very end of that chapter, there's, there's two words. I won't give them to you in the original, I'll give them to you in English. The church. <laughs> what happened? You, you talking about the church that day? Yes. In the New King James Version. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, that tells me off the bat, I can't join the church. I need to be added to it. Okay? I don't come in on my terms. I come in on God's terms. Think about that. Because the question was, these people realized they had crucified Christ. They realized they killed the Messiah. They realized that they missed it. Do you think they'd be willing to confess Christ as Lord? Absolutely. They believed it. That's why they're asking the question. Do you think they believed in God? Definitely. Why in the world would they be in the temple? But were they willing to believe in God so that they'd listen to the apostles? Guess what? They're listening to Peter, aren't they? They're asking him, what should we do? I think some preachers in today's world be a little bit offended if somebody interrupted the lesson. But I, I'll tell you something, I welcome anybody raising their hand and saying, Bill, what do I need to do? This is the issue. Three points. Number one, these comparisons that we want to make. If I want to follow Jesus, I need to see him as first a door. Well, you came through a door coming into here, didn't you? Different type of door. John the 10th chapter, if you'll turn with me. John writes, beginning verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Hmm. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. What are we looking at here? First off, 
Context determines that this passage is actually a continuation. Remember that blind man that was healed? And guess what? In all probability, he's talking to him at the same time talking to the Pharisees. Pharisees probably just kicked him out of the synagogue. That was serious business for a Jew back then. You cannot buy, sell, trade with another of your Jewish brethren at all. Let me make some emphasis on this thing. Jesus says, I'm the door. We just talk about, I'm the entrance. I'm the gate. I'm the access. But what's the implication? I'm the security, aren't I? They would have doors or gates to the sheepfolds there. The sheepfolds would either be part of a house complex or else behind a house or on the side of a house on a hill. It usually has stone walls. Stones were very plentiful in the Promised Land. They have stones there and, and, and they get creative sometimes to keep animals and predators out. They would plant briars on the top of it. I'm so familiar with that. I used to do prison ministry all the time and guess what? Chain link fence and razor wire at the top. I guess that's a little bit more lethal than briars, but they did that. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the door. Let me emphasize that. I'm not a door. I'm the door. When we deal with specifics, it's important for us to realize, I think some of our brethren have lost sight on that. We ought not to shy away from the fact that the Bible talks about the faith, the church. And he emphasized some things here. He says, the shepherd calls those sheep by name. And that was a fairly regular practice there. And they know his voice. They know the shepherd's voice and they can respond to that. Uh, there are many instances where they've had three or four different herds of sheep and you have one of the shepherds come there and he'll start calling names and the sheep will just come. They know his voice. A friend of mine, Barry Bryson, who preaches back east, used an illustration from the National Geographic magazine, although I wouldn't recommend that they've gone woke. But the interesting thing about that is they talk about the emperor penguins down in Antarctica. And they'll have rookeries where they'll have thousands upon thousands of penguins and thousands upon thousands of baby penguins and of course, Mama is the one that goes out and looks for the food while Dad is there tending the nest. And guess what? How does Mama find baby penguin? She just calls out and it responds. Her baby responds. They know each other's voice. Isn't that remarkable? But I was reading a book, um, some of you are familiar with that little book by Philip Keller, a shepherd, takes a look at the 23rd Psalm. Philip was actually a shepherd in New Zealand for a while. And he came across an interesting thing, and we need to be mindful of this. He says when sheep are sick, 
delirious with fever, even to the, almost to the point of death, it's not so much following the voice, but they'll follow any voice. I think that's a sad commentary on the world today. People will follow anything, won't they? We're talking about truth here. We're talking about spiritual truth. These people ask, what shall we do? The picture there of the door is for security. And what does the shepherd say? Follow me. You can take a look over and over again. Run. Some of you have these apps for your telephone, uh, the smartphone there for, for your Bible. Just put in the word, put in the search term, follow me, and see how many times Jesus used that. We need to follow him. The emphasis on that doorway, by the way, was security. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to be secure in there. The entrance was through Christ. We're going to take a look at the two little terms, into Christ. Of course, if we had more time tonight, we could go with the term in Christ. That's so important. Our salvation is based on our relationship with Christ. Jesus is the door. Number two, he's the ladder. Jacob was a man on the run. In Genesis, the 28th chapter, he's running away from Esau, his brother. He had hoodwinked uh, him out of a birthright. I don't think that's true, by the way. Even Jacob is called a supplanter. That's what his name means in the original. Even though he did that, Esau was not a spiritual man. Never pretended to be a spiritual man. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of red cabbage stew. Uh, I like to eat a lot of things. You probably realize that, but I th- I'm not a big fan of red cabbage stew. He's running from his brother. He goes to a place called Luz. He's so impressed with what happened that night, he's going to change the name to Bethel, house of God. In Genesis 28:12, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The same figures used by a man that was going to follow Jesus, Nathaniel, in John the first chapter. In verse 51, right after Nathaniel had, had, had made the exclamation that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man used the same figure. Jacob was on the run from his brother. There in Bethel, 12 miles north of Jerusalem, he had that dream. We call it Jacob's Ladder. And Nathan had that, that, that vision explained to him in a little bit different way. Jesus talked about the Son of Man was a ladder. That's key because in Daniel, the seventh chapter, in verse 13, one of the few times, although the book of Ezekiel talks about the Son of Man an awful lot, but in Daniel, look at what Daniel, the seventh chapter, verse 13. Daniel had this vision, 
He says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. The picture is of Christ. I believe that's a picture of mediation. Think about this one. Paul's telling Timothy about prayer. He says, there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. The picture here is that Jesus mediates between us and God. He is the bridge. He's not a bridge. He is the bridge. He's not a axis. He is the axis. Think about that. Final picture, and this, this is not an analogy. This is plain, simple truth. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Lord, it means master. In their context there, Jesus laments the response of the crowds of people there in Luke, the sixth chapter, when he says in verse 46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? That's implicit with Lord. If somebody calls you Lord, and that somebody tells you to do something, you need to do it. What does it mean to follow Christ as Lord? Look in Luke, the 17th chapter, if you would. Turn your Bibles there. Jesus tells something to his apostles there. They're asking a question. Actually, they, they're asking a good question. He says, they, they ask Jesus, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And what should you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all these things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty was to do. If I ever have a headstone, I'd like two phrases on it. I'm not telling my wife ahead <laughs> of time or whatever. Uh, I'd just like to have their bill built, servant of the Lord. He did what he needed to do. That's the attitude here. It's a servant heart. It's obedience. Okay? You want to enter the kingdom? Great. But the one thing that's implicit in this, that God wants us to follow him, his way. That's the problem of a lot of religious groups today. I'll mention that a little bit later on. But Jesus has to be Lord. If Jesus told you to do something, how quickly would you do it? If Jesus said, yes, you need to do that to be saved, yes, you need to be, be a member of the body of Christ, you need to be part of the kingdom, would you be willing to do whatever? Obedience is key here. 
when we talk about Lord and Savior, Savior, that's what Jesus' name was. The Hebrew is Yeshua. The Greek, Theesu. What does it mean? It means Savior. Called him Jesus. Why? Remember the angel told old Joseph what to name him. He'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. Humility is the key here. I don't know about you, but when I was struggling with God's word and obeying the gospel, all these other things, I realized one thing that I need I need it saved. I could say I could dress up what I'd lived in my life any old way I wanted to, and it would be wrong. I needed to be saved. What about you? Humility is the key. Matter of fact, the Hebrew writer says that we are saved to the uttermost in Hebrews 7.25. We have some word pictures there. The door. The ladder. Lord and Master. Think about those. Let's go on. though. We have a concept to be grasped. And this is the key why I've emphasized the so much. Spiritual specificity. Specific spirituality. Go back to Acts 2. How many churches were there on the day of Pentecost? Well, there's the Jews. There are the Gentiles. No, but Peter wasn't speaking from that perspective. There was what? The church. Who were those people that were saved? Where were they added to? The church. You say, oh, come on, Bill. You know, we've had this nonspecific concept drilled into our minds. I remember back in the 60s, the National Ad Council was advertising what? This Sunday, go to the church of your choice, right? I'd like to just edit one word. This Sunday goes to the church of Christ's choice. Remember Acts 2.47 there. We've talked about that. We will continue to talk about that. What is spiritual specificity? Specificity. I'll get that straight. (laughs) In matters spiritual... There are never a list of options. What we talk about tonight is not optional. It's required. It's required. Moses there at Mirabah. Oh, he was upset with the Israelites. What did God tell him to do? Aaron was there. He was the witness. And this will impact on our story. God said, go to the rock and what? Speak to it. What did he do? He read the riot act and the people took his rod and struck the rock. Now, you may think, oh, what's the big deal with that? God told him to speak to the rock. He didn't. He hit it. 
Now, it's interesting. If you take a look at your New Testament, there in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, I think it's around verse 3. Who does it... Who does Paul say that rock was that has fallen in through the wilderness? It was Christ. I don't know about you. I wouldn't like to... I wouldn't take a rod and, and whack the living daylights out of the Lord. But, you know, the thing is, God told him to do something. He did something else. And guess what? He and Aaron forfeited the, the right, the responsibility, the blessing of going into the promised land. Oh, come on, Bill. you got to be kidding me. Yeah, he led them all away the from Egypt. And there was a stone's throw of the Jordan River, and guess what? He decided not to do it God's way, and guess what God did? Oh, but, you know, God's patient. God's merciful. Guess what? God was just as patient and merciful in the Old Testament as he was in the New Testament. God does not change. We would like for him to do that, but God is always going to be God. We must do specifically what God tells us to do. I was at a real watershed point in my, in my life. I was raised in a Methodist church, uh, going to college, selling my wild oats, if you want to call it that. I was anything but a spiritual man. I was sort of like a lazy agnostic. I didn't know whether there was a God, and I didn't care. And I started thinking, boy, I need to get my life straight. I'm going out in the work world. I need to start a family. I'll marry a wife. God gave me a good one, too. I need to get serious about things, start reading through the Bible. Uh, got to the New Testament and said, boy, I need to read through this. Grew up in Methodist Church. Had all the standard Bible stories, but they never made application to what truth was. I started reading that, and I looked through the book of Acts, and I said, you know what? Somebody sprinkled water on my head when I was about three months old, and I cried like a banshee for about 15 minutes. And I looked at Acts 8, and Saw there old Philip and the eunuch and said, I wasn't baptized. If you call what I, I had bap, baptized, well, no, that was baptized. I need to be baptized into Christ. Then I, I took a look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called, one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's above all, through all, and in you all. Wow. Realize that, that word one keeps popping up, doesn't it? Talks about one church, one body there in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. It talks about the brethren being one. That was the prayer of Jesus to the Father there in John 17, 22. How many doors do we have? One. How many ladders or mediators do we have? One. How many lords or saviors we got? One. How many ways are there to be saved? One. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 14, verse 6. 
And here's another analogy for you. Turn to Luke 13. Beginning in verse 22. It says, he, As he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying through, toward Jerusalem, then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Matter of fact, this sounds like a little bit like the conversation he had with the woman at the well. Remember that? Oh, our Father says, in this mountain, we need to worship. What Jesus came right out and said, or, said to her, salvation is of the Jews. Jesus didn't mince any word. Oh, you know, Jesus is merciful. He's kind. He'll accept. No, he didn't accept anything. Back then, salvation was of the Jews. The Samaritans had it all wrong. They only believed the first five books in the Old Testament. They'd accept Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's why they didn't want to worship in Jerusalem. They left that out, didn't they? They didn't realize what happened in First and Second Samuel and on after that. But she was she was arguing. It was oh, we can do this. No, here the guy is saying about the same question. Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Narrow in the original means restrictive in the sense it's sort of like a cattle chute. you got to go through there, but don't decide to turn around because you can't. you got to keep going straight. Does that mean that you just God's made it that way? You can never fall? No, that's not the issue. The issue is he wants us directed. When you're thinking right, when you're living right, you are living a specific directive life. Anybody thinks, well, I'm going to become a Christian, but I can still do anything I want to do. You ought to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You ought to see what that rich young ruler did. He did a 180. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. That was too hard for him. Start to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I do not know you. For where you are from, where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Then there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east, the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. If you think you're so good that God has to let you in, think again. What are you saying, Bill? It's not just like 
spiritually you got to change. So what does that mean for us? There are commands to follow. Very quickly. Two keys before you get into this. I'm assuming most people here know about this, but I'm going to deal with some things you need to understand. Number one, I believe it's very important to see in the, the Old Testament, the longest book, no, not maybe the longest book, but I know the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. How does it begin? The sum or the entirety of your word is truth. What I'm going to go through today, you're going, to, you're going to say, well, Bill, you're all over the Bible on this thing. Guess what? You tell me where there's one verse that tells us everything we need to do to be pleasing to God. There's not one verse. You've got to look at the whole thing, don't you? Maybe that says something about where we ought to be having our Bible studies at. Then, the second part is, anybody remember the visualized Bible study? Jewel Miller. Love that. They still have it out, by the way. But the thing about it is, I remember there in, in Lesson 4, the idea of you know, being on a journey. Has somebody going from California all the way out to Florida. And on the way, they're asking directions. Well, the thing is, the further you go, the directions are going to change some, aren't they? Okay, you may have to turn off a different road, get on a different interstate. The answer changes depending where you are. On the day of Pentecost, these were faithful Jews. They knew that they needed to believe in God. And I'll mention that in just a second. They knew that they wanted to follow the Messiah. They believed in the Messiah, but they didn't believe in Jesus as being the Messiah. But when they realized on that day, 51 days after they had shouted, Give us Barabbas! 51 days after that, they realized that they'd asked for the wrong man. Would they be willing to confess Christ as Lord? I believe it without a doubt. So you had people that were willing to hear, willing to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. They were willing to confess Him as Lord, and they wanted to obey. Why would they ask, what shall we do? What's the response that Peter gave? Repent and be baptized, everyone, in Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this, okay? The key to this whole thing, by the way, is that Jesus came to save people. If you take a look in Luke, the first chapter, here's an interesting verse for you to think about concerning salvation. Zacharias, the father of John the baptizer, is inspired by God. He's filled with God's spirit. He is a prophet in the truest sense, when he's speaking this song of praise to God that begins in verse uh, 68 of Luke, the first chapter. In verse 67, he says he's filled with the Spirit. He's inspired. So this is what God wants him to say. He says this, that knowledge of salvation is by the remission of sins. Luke 177. 
You remember that. A lot of those, okay, Acts 2.38, and we talk about Hebrews there, 9.22, and the 10th chapter, verse 18, there can be no remission or forgiveness without blood. So like the old pewpack or what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Remember that as we go through this, the basics. You have to hear first. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the word of God. The faithful Jew that was there that day understood that. You know what the John 3.16 of the Old Testament was? Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. I wouldn't say Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. But hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Matter of fact, that's found in your New Testament in Mark the 12th chapter. Verse 29, remember the Lord came and said, Teacher, what's the first, what's the foremost commandment? And he actually came right out, quoted the Shema, and said that, and then he said, You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, mind. Then to love your neighbor as yourself. He gave him number two, like number one, right? What did you believe? The word Shema in the Old Testament meant, you see it translated a whole bunch of ways, means hear, give heed to. But you know what finds the, the most interesting variation of that? It's not a variation, it's inherent with a word. If you hear, you will heed. If you heed, you will obey. They knew that. They needed to believe. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need to believe that He is, and He's a reward of those that diligently seek Him. We know that from Hebrews 11, verse 6. We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, what, believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Belief is key. I believe that's foundational. Anything you do that comes from this word, you've got to believe it. You have to trust in God. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That needs to be your attitude. You need to hear God's word. You need to believe and trust in that word because you believe and trust in the author, Almighty God. That word believe has some interesting companions. It's linked with repent. Isn't that what John the Baptizer was saying? Believe and repent. But also, believe and be baptized. You know Mark 16, 16. Believe and obey. In John three thirty six. You hear, you believe, you confess. Jesus said there in Matthew the 10th chapter, beginning verse 32... If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But on the flip side, if you deny me before men, I'll do what? I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. We need to make the good confession. We do that from our lips. We believe from the heart. We confess from our lips. But confession has to be based on faith. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess our trespasses, God will forgive us 
all unrighteousness. That's how John starts out in 1 John 1 8. You believe, you've heard the word, you believe, you confess Christ as Lord, you're willing to repent. This is so big that Jesus repeated himself in Luke 13, 3 and 5. He used two examples. One is some of the Galileans that had their, their offerings and their blood mixed with their own blood. That's gruesome. Pilate was really a nasty person. And then he talked about a construction accident in Siloam. And the idea is, are you any better people than these people that died violent, nasty deaths? And he said, no. He said the same thing in verses 3 and 5. I'll tell you not, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You need to hear. You need to believe. You need to confess. You need to repent. Repentance. Change of mind. That's what it originally means. Change of heart. Change of action. If you're willing to change your life, God can... God can help you and guide you. But the issue is people were baptized. Remember I made that big issue in the introduction about being baptized into Christ? There are two verses in your Bible that tell you how to be a person that gets into Christ. Turn, if you will, you probably heard this an awful lot, but in Romans, the sixth chapter, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know? Isn't that interesting? Paul uses that question an awful lot. He's assuming you should know this. Okay, do you know it? Or do you not know that all of us, do you know, not know that as many of us, not all of us, but as many of us, maybe not everybody there at Rome was baptized into Christ. We're baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we too should walk in newness of life. When you get to that new life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when did God say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, when he was baptized? Did it happen before or after he was baptized? Think about that. Knowledge of salvation is by the remission of sins. I've heard people, oh, I felt saved that night. How do you know you're saved? Oh, I felt saved. What does the Bible say? You know you're saved when your sins have been remitted. When are our sins remitted? Remember Jesus, the night he was betrayed? They broke bread. Here's my body. Take eat. They took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood that is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, how in the world do you get into the death of Jesus? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? 
And that's clear. If you're here tonight, you haven't been baptized, you need to do that. Oh, there's one more step. Over and over again. Well, I could I quote Revelation 2, verse 10. John, from Jesus to the church of Tyra Tyra, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And then Jesus said, you know, if you abide in my word, what are you going to do? You're going to know the truth. That truth is going to make you free. And over and over again, John talks about abiding, remaining in Christ. You don't make you terms. You keep on straight ahead. You hear the word. You believe God. You believe that word. You want to trust it. You want to follow it. You want to obey it. How do you do that? You confess Christ as Lord and keep doing that. You repent of your sins and keep doing that. There's one point in action. That's baptism. If you're here tonight and you haven't done any of those things, do it and then stay with it. Why? There's an old boy from New Jersey, and he was looking, and he found it. I was looking for the New Testament church, by the way. Had a Bible study with a guy by the name of John Fortner, just retired from Harding University. And I asked him, I said, I want to find out that, are you, from, are you trying to be the church in the Bible? He had the strangest smile on his face. I figured out years after that why the strange smile. I was looking. Are you looking? Think about that as we stand and say.